Good morning, Fellowship family. I'm so glad that you're here, whether you're in person with us or you're watching on live stream. I'm glad that you've joined us to worship this morning. My name's Jimmy Cook. I'm the worship pastor for Faye Kids, and I'm happy to be joining you all to worship the King this morning. And I don't know if, if you're like me, when you look around at the world, when you look internally, you recognize that things aren't the way that they should be. Whether it's sickness or injustice or pain or internally, if there's things that just aren't right. And, and I'm tempted, and maybe you are too, to look out at other people, uh, to look at uh, other ideologies or, or ways of, of being in the world to try and fix what's wrong with me or what's wrong with the world. And the psalmist reminds us this morning that there's only one who's worthy of our hope. There's only one who's worthy of our worship. There's only one who can bring healing and wholeness and make all things right. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read from Psalm 146? This is the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Will you sing this song with me and worship to the one King? Yeah. 
Good morning. Man, it's so great to be together this morning. We're so glad you're here on this beautiful weekend that the Lord's given us. And for those of you joining us on the live stream, we're so glad to have you with us as well. Uh, this is just a, a, a unique season in the time of our church. We still believe in the value of gathering. We still believe that the Lord does something when we're together, but we have to figure out a way to do it safely. And the, the answer to that's not the same for everybody out there. And so, however you're joining us, uh, we're glad you're here. This is true in community ministry as well. We are continuing together, and it just looks a little bit different. Uh, my community group has been meeting in my backyard for the last few weeks. For the last two decades, community group meant living room for me. And now I'm sitting outside on these beautiful evenings, and I'm like, why have we never done this before? It's been incredible. Uh, same thing for our women's ministry. They had a back porch retreat this weekend. I know the ladies that were with my wife, they had an incredible experience together. So if you're not part of that, and you wanna get plugged in with what we're doing, um, you can just uh, send the hashtag new um, to our, our number here. There we go. Send the hashtag new to the number on the screen, or you can shoot us an email. If you're joining us on the live stream, you can just connect with us through that, but we would love to help you get connected with some other people. We have groups that are meeting virtually, so if that's what you need to do, uh, we can do that as well. Our men's ministry is continuing to gather, even though that looks a little different these days. And as you can see on the screen, we're continuing to have men's small groups that meet. We have two meeting virtually, one on Wednesday studying Matthew, one on Thursday studying First Thess. And uh, you can hit us up. We'd love to get you connected with that. If you want to get in a face-to-face -face men's group, guys, you can just email Scott Davis. That's his email address there. He would love to get you connected with a small group of men so that you can gather and process life together. We also have a couple of events coming up. And so if you like to play golf, this Friday, our men's ministry is gonna play golf at Fayetteville Country Club, and they would love to have you join them. So you can get connected with those guys. If you're a member at Fayetteville Country Club, it won't cost you anything. Uh, but if you wanna come and play, you'll get two full rounds of golf, get some lunch, and maybe meet some guys that you don't know. 
And then later in the month, we're going to go out and ride motorcycles. You can probably guess um, if you've been around here very long who puts that together. Um, but I'm excited about getting out and riding with some of y'all. And so uh, you don't have to sign up for that one. You can just show up. But all the info is on the website. So go to fellowshipfayetteville.org news, and you can get everything you need to know about those. Well, hey, let's just take a beat. Normally, I'd say take a deep breath. I don't know if that's safe right now. So let's just rest for a second. What a week. What a week our country's had. I know all of you, like me, you've watched the news, and it's just heartbreaking to see so much pain, so much division, so much anger, even hate. And so what's the appropriate response for us as believers? I think we would all agree the appropriate response is to just go to the Lord in prayer. And so all through the month of October, we're going to have a daily devotional that's going to call our church to pray for our country. Now, if you've gotten our uh, Advent or our Lent devotionals, you're already subscribed. You don't have to do anything. Those are just going to show up in your email inbox. But if you've never been part of one of those devotional prayer um, initiatives, you can go to the website, go to fellowshipfable.org news, click on the link, put your email address in, and just get a, a prompt every day for the month of October to pray for our country, to ask God to move, to heal, to restore. And I thought, why not start that off this morning? And so let's just, as the body of Christ gathered here, both physically and virtually, let's just take a moment and let's just pray. Will you pray with me? Well, Lord, it saddens us when we see anger, we see hate. And Lord, our nation is suffering right now. There's so much division. Lord, the small things become big things and the big, and the big things just seem to light things on fire. And so, Lord, we pray, touch our country. And Lord, may it begin with us. Touch our own hearts. Lord, may we look to you and remember that our citizenship is in heaven and then live a life that blesses our neighbors and our city and our nation. And Lord, we're gonna submit it all to you and ask you to just cover it with your grace and the power of Jesus' name.
never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna
us down, that you're with us in our struggles, that you hold us in your love under the shadow of your wing. Lord, as we hear from your word, Lord, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Good morning. Good. Why are you laughing at me? I'm just standing here. I didn't even do anything yet. Um, so glad to see y'all again. May I just say, I went to the hall game yesterday, and y'all are much better at wearing masks than like everybody in that stadium was uh, yesterday. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, sports are back, and one of the things that I, uh, that I love about sports is the way that sports really whittles things down to like motto e motto, like one person versus the other person, and all the kind of unwritten rules that are, that are a part of sports. Like my, my favorite thing about baseball, I'm admittedly not a baseball fan, except for the Razorback baseball team. I don't really get into baseball. My favorite thing about baseball is, if you're unfamiliar, baseball has like a huge long list of, of unwritten code that you have to follow. It's part of the game, and none of it's written anywhere, and that code essentially is about the honor or the shame of the team that you play for. And so it goes like this. If, if you throw inside and up on the other team's best hitter, then the next time your team's best hitter comes up to the plate, they're going to brush him back even closer, or if you slide with your cleats a little high, next time you come up, we're plunking you with the ball. And it's what leads to these, uh, I mean, my favorite thing about baseball is when on like Sports Center you see uh, those bench clearing brawls where like all the guys come out. They never land any of those punches. They, they're not very good fighters. They're baseball players, but they come out and they're just ready to go. And it's almost always because somebody got this small little slide. The dumbest one is this. If you hit a home run in baseball, but then you flip the bat, just a, just a tiny little amount. If you hit the home run and then you flip the bat, that is like the utmost disrespect from my team to your team. And when that happens, you better believe next time that guy comes up to the plate, they're throwing at him. It's what I like about baseball, this tiny, this little code that's woven in the game that's essentially only about honor and shame. And it got me thinking, uh, I, did, I played basketball growing up. I played for Bentonville, and uh, there was, I showed you the picture last week, uh, there was a uh, particular game uh, where we were playing uh, a different town, uh, this town I did not like very much, I will not name the town, Springdale, and uh, there was a player for the Springdale team that he ran in some of the, like I knew some of his friends, he knew some of my friends, and I, I won't ever forget this, uh, I had got, I had kind of got word before this game that he was talking some noise about me, like he was he was talking about me uh, as a player and like as a person. And I, I went into that game, and I won't forget, I went into that game with like this added like, man, I want to humiliate that guy. Like he's talking noise about me, and, and I didn't talk a lot of trash, but I remember in that game, uh, I wasn't good enough to talk trash, but in that game, everything that I did, and he played the same position as me, everything that I did, and I'm not proud of this, everything I did well in that game, I was letting him have it. Like, I was making sure he knew that I knew what he had said. He slighted me, and I was making sure that he knew that I knew, and I was getting him back. And so, man, it was the closest I ever came to getting in an actual fight during a basketball game. And it got me thinking, we used to have a way, we used to have a method to deal with this in our culture. We called it the duel. 
Like we had a way to deal with this, didn't we? Now duels are back in, the, we, we hear about them again because of Hamilton. How many of you watched the Hamilton on Disney? Okay, we've watched it, it's cool. Uh, there's so much history they've, they've packed into that like two hour thing. We used to have a way to solve this in our culture and it was called the duel. And I'm definitely not proposing we go back to the era of having the duels, but it did get me uh, on a little bit of a wormhole on Google the other day, so none of these stories may be true, but looking at the most ridiculous things that people have dueled over. Like, for example, in 1809, there was a duel between two Kentucky state representatives, and literally the duel was over fabric. They got into a duel over the kind of wool that you were allowed to wear and buy. And Two of the state representatives were not backing a, a, an amendment or a piece of legislation outlawing all wool from England. And two guys were very suave, and they liked their English wool, and they wouldn't back this bill. And the rest of the people in the Kentucky state representative were like, you guys are the worst. They were like, no, I don't think so. And it came to blows. They walked outside, walked their 10 paces, and shot each other over fabric. Uh, maybe this one is even better. Uh, this, this particular group of guys, uh, this was in the, the mid-1700s, they got into a duel, uh, it was named William Byron and William Chatworth, they got into a duel over the best and most appropriate way to stuff and mount game birds after you killed them. They literally were arguing over the best way to do it, how many animals they each killed, and it came to blows, they shot each other over the way you mount a game bird. And if you think, by the way, this should go without saying, alcohol seems to have been involved in a lot of these issues, okay? So it seems like that's a, com a common denominator. Uh, if you think it's just a, a guy's issue, ladies, in the 1790s, there was a duel between uh, two British women, Mrs. Braddock and Mrs. Elphinstone, literally over Mrs. Elphinstone's age. And I'm not joking, she said she was this old, Mrs. Braddock was like, I know you're not that age. They, by the way, she was lying by like 25 years. Like she was way off. I don't know how you can get away with that. And because they, were, they had so dishonored each other, these two women walked the 10 paces, pulled the guns and shot. And then when they didn't hit each other, they drew swords and went at each other. And their friends are all watching and sanctioning this. It didn't stop until one of them got cut. And they said, okay, 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 we should stop this. Now, if you think about it, this sort of honor and dishonor, how you respond when you get slighted. We still see this in our culture today. It's what drives a lot of our sports. Like, watch what happens when LeBron James gets dishonored by the media or somebody on their team. He's, you're gonna see him go crazy the next game. We saw it with golf. Brooks Kepka dared to say something about another golfer. He freaked out. It's what drives a lot of uh, this, this, these brawls that happen in sports. And if you think about it, it's also what is underneath a lot of how we feel in our culture. We have this desperate need to not experience uh, being ousted or shamed by our group or our tribe or our party or our news or our whatever. And we have this desperate need to, to make sure that people know that we are on the right side or we're honorable or we said the right thing. Corporations fear it, being dishonored. Politicians fear it, celebrities fear it. And talking with you, I think we fear it. I, I need to make sure I say the right thing. I'm on the honorable side, I'm on the right side of history. And if you think about it, the way that we appropriate honor and praise in our culture, it's, it's, it, it's led us into being enslaved to the kind of affirmation, the kind of esteem that we get from other people. Necessarily, it has done this. The way we build my self-affirmation, the way I get it, tethers me to people in my world, and it enslaves me. What we're going to see is, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul 
has found a way out. Paul has found something different. He's found a way to some kind of freedom. And maybe, like just maybe, we might find it too this morning. That's our goal. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Get a Bible or a phone or something so you can get the text in front of you. We're going to look at this particular passage. And to get you caught up on where we're at, let's set the stage. Here's the context. A traveling group of missionaries led by this guy named Paul has gone out into the Roman world and they're heralding a message that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and the true king of the world. And they came to this town in Thessalon- called Thessalonica. It's at the northwest part of the Aegean Sea. I can hardly see it from here. So it's up on the northwest part of that blue part, if your eyes are bad. And Thessalonica was a, a port city, a very important port city in this particular part of the Roman Empire. And when the message of the gospel came into Thessalonica, there was an amazing response. People came to understand, man, this Jesus guy really is the king of the world. But on the backside of that positive response was a negative response. And the, some people in Thessalonica, they broke out in a riot in their anger and their defensiveness over their gods, and they drove Paul out of town. He had to sneak his way out of town. And like any good leader, he was worried. Man, how, how are my friends in Thessalonica doing? Like, last time, last time I was there, it got violent. How are they? And so he sent one of his companions back up there. His name was Timothy. Go check on them up there in Thessalonica. When Timothy came back with the report for Paul, the news was good. And they're hanging in there. They're following Jesus still. They're proclaiming Jesus as king. And in in receiving that news, Paul sat down to write this letter that we are currently reading. And here's one of the other things that Timothy reported. Man, they're doing really good, but there's there's some rumors about you, Paul. In fact, you've been dishonored. They're slighting you. The group that caused this riot almost certainly is now spreading misinformation about Paul. What they're saying is, Paul, that dude is only in this for himself. Man, he doesn't love you. He came in in three weeks, and he was out of there as soon as the going got tough. You can't trust Paul. He's trying to build fame. He's like one of these traveling salesmen just trying to make money, just trying to make a name for himself. You can't trust him. The the word for this kind of person was the traveling orator or the philosopher of its day, and it was a celebrity status in the first century Roman world. Let me give you insight into the most famous one of the day. His name was Cicero, and here's what he says, and you can hear him going over the top here. He says, in an orator, the acuteness of the logicians, the wisdom of the philosophers, the language, the language almost of poetry, the memory of lawyers, the voice of tragedians, the gesture almost of the best actors is required. Nothing, therefore, is more rarely found among mankind than a consummate orator. It was somebody who would travel the Roman world looking to build their brand, traveling around trying to make a name for themselves by how good they could deliver a public performance or some kind of philosophical treatise. And the accusation against Paul is, that's what he's doing. He showed up at Thessalonica with this little weird message. He tried to make a name for himself, and then he got out of here. And you can see Paul responding to this. Look at verse 3. He says, hey, the appeal that we make to you, it doesn't spring from error or impure motives. We're not, we didn't come here trying to trick you, Thessalonians. That's not our motive here. Look at verse 5. He says, you know we never used flattery. This word that's being uh, translated for us is flattery. It's only used once in the Bible, and it's really not written much in ancient Greek culture either. It carries with it the concept of heaping up compliments on someone just so that you can manipulate them and and get what you want. 
And by the way, we all know those people, right? You got somebody like that in your office, don't you? They love the boss. Oh my gosh, you're the best boss in the whole world. Everything you do is brilliant. You're so smart and you know they're only angling. We all know those people, right? You got a friend who he's always heaping up all the compliments on the ladies, but it's only so we can sleep with them, only so we can get a date with them. We've seen people like this. We know what this looks like. And Paul says, that's not how I was with you. I didn't come in there heaping up compliments for you, afraid to tell you the truth because I needed something from you. He said, we didn't put on a mask to cover up our greed. I wasn't in this for me. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to get rich off of you. He says, man, I could have. Look at verse six. He says, as apostles of Christ, I could have come in there and said, you better do whatever I say. I'm an apostle here. I could have asserted my authority, but he didn't. Why? We gotta get into Paul's mind here. If we can see it, it might set you free this morning. He says, we never came in there and asserted our authority because he knows that's a dangerous road to go down. He knows it's dangerous. I think we're gonna get insight into the danger in these two verses. He says it twice in the passage. Verse four and verse six. He said, listen, we're not trying to please people here. That's not my goal here. My goal is not to please people, to get my affirmation and my esteem and my worth from you. He says it again in verse six. I'm not looking to please people, not you or anyone else. Why is this so significant? You gotta hear me. This is our problem that we have in our world as well. When you are seeking your esteem and your value and your worth and your honor from the praise of people, it will necessarily ensnare you to that praise for the rest of your life. Think of it this way. Remember this uh, weird game that, that they teach kids dexterity with where they put the, the different, there's different pegs on a board and you can make shapes with it. It's a terribly boring game. You can make shapes with it and you can spell things if you're really good. Like imagine that board and in the middle is you and your identity and your security and your value and your honor and your self-worth. When you live your life, and we all do, seeking the praise of people, as Paul calls it, then it's like stretching rubber bands, stretching those bands around the praise that you get from those people. And maybe for some of us, you're in the center and it's the approval that you get from mom, the approval that you wanted from dad. Maybe it's the approval that you've always wanted from a person or a, your employer. Maybe it's the approval that you're gonna get from the, the people that your kids hang out with and what your kids say about you. Maybe you're like most of us, and it's a big old mess of dozens, if not hundreds of rubber bands that you're stretching all around the different things and the, the things people say about you and the way they look at you and the way that they affirm you and the way that they notice you. It necessarily enslaves you to that approval. You become tethered to it, trapped under the weight of it. Do you see? And it leads to almost always one of two places. On the one hand, it leads to what we now call codependency. On the one hand, you are desperate for that affirmation. You have to have it because you're building your identity on it. And so it will lead you to, to press into unhealthy parts of your relationships. It will lead you to not draw boundaries with people. It'll lead you to never be honest. Because after all, what do you need? It's not the health of the relationship, it's the affirmation you get from them. We do this with, with uh, relationships where we're dating or married. We do this with like the pressure that parents put on you. And some of you, you might be in your 40s, 50s, or 60s right now, but there's still the shadow of what your parents expected from you. And you have this codependent, I need from them, I need that affirmation. 
The opposite is also true. It doesn't lead us to codependency where we desperately need the affirmation from those people that we're tethered to. At least the opposite. We want to get our glory. We want to get our honor, make a name for ourselves, and we see people as tools or instruments to get our glory and our honor. You know what we call that? We call that abuse. Where I am trying to, I'm trying to build my brand. I'm trying to make sure people know that I am the one who solved that, or I'm the one who landed that client, or I'm the one who, and so we build up our own esteem, and people become pawns in the game to make our honor and our glory look good. Here's the deal. When we tether our sense of value, our honor to the praise of people, it's an endless game of up and down. They noticed me today, they didn't tomorrow. They slighted me today, they're praising me the next day. And you're like a roller coaster, up and down. Have you been there? I mean, for some of us, this is like how we live our lives. This is like every day for us. And it's, it's anxiety-filling, and it's exhausting. It's, it's terrifying. You never know if you've made it. You're always going, I don't know if this is enough. Is that enough? You're enslaved. And I think what we're going to see from Paul is he's going to give us insight into how to get out. And I think that's what we want. Look at verse 2. He said, he said, by the way, we had previously suffered and we, we were treated outrageously in Philippi. He says, and you know, before he got in Thessalonica, Paul was in a city called Philippi. And as a Roman citizen, he was arrested, beaten, thrown in jail, and then eventually he, was, he, he has a supernatural escape. And then the authorities go, oh man, he's a Roman citizen. We shouldn't have done that. Because it was the ultimate dishonor to Paul. He says, listen, I've already experienced the ultimate slight, the ultimate dishonor. I just had that happen in the other city, but it didn't crush him. Now, time out, time out, for you and for me. How do you know if you've tethered your identity, your sense of honor and value, if, you, if you're tethering it to other people and you're in that endless game? How do you know? When you feel slighted, when you don't get the attention or the affirmation, you think, it, does it crush you? you? Do you run into things that you cope with? Porn? Do you run to things that you cope with? Alcohol? Does it crush you into sadness and depression and fear? Or, or maybe you're like me. I my wife says I have two emotions. I'm happy, and then I'm angry. And that's it, because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Um, and so my emotion, when I feel slighted, I don't run to sadness. I just get mad. When you are slighted, when you get dishonored, when you don't get the affirmation, the praise, whatever it may be that you think you are deserved, does it crush you? You fly off in rage. It's highlighting that you've actually tethered your heart to the praise of people. Look at Paul. This is, this is unbelievable. Look at Paul. He says, we were treated outrageously. And you don't get a bigger slight than this. And he goes, and we kept going. I wasn't crushed. Because in fact, we dared, the Greek word is, we had full courage to go right to the next city and keep proclaiming that same gospel. Think about it. Paul has a courage that has buoyancy. He has a poise that floats above that crazy game of tethering your identity to other people's praise. Paul goes, I float above that. 
think about the freedom this guy is experiencing. He's going to describe what it looks like in verse 7. He goes, look at the position I took. In the first century Roman world, children and mothers were lower on the totem pole, we might say, socially. Paul goes, that's the position we took. We came in and we gladly took the low position, the position of dishonor. I'm not after my glory. Here, look at verse 9. He says, you remember our toil and our hardship. We didn't take any money from you. We worked night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden to anybody. We, I've never been about me in this thing. I've, got, I've been set free from all of that. Don't you see how, how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you? We dealt with you like a loving father does with his children. We just wanted to encourage you and comfort and urge you to live lives worthy of God. We weren't taking anything from you. What freedom, what poise, what courage. That's the secret. I think, I think we get insight into Paul's secret. Look at it again. We're not trying to please people, but God, just for a moment. Can you imagine going through your day and going, I'm not trying to please people. I don't have to get in that game today. I'm free from that. Not worried about it. Can you imagine that kind of poise? That kind of courage? That kind of liberation? I mean, it, it takes Paul out of this game of going to either one of these two places. You don't hear Paul in this letter going, oh, but I desperately like you. Please tell me you love me again. I'm not gonna be, I can't be honest with you because you might, you might reject me. You don't hear Paul say, you also hear him saying, what's wrong with you? How dare you slight me? Don't you know I got a mission here? That's what I would have done. He doesn't do that. In fact, he's set free to do the opposite of that. Look at verse eight. This is one of our favorite verses here at Fellowship. But we gotta get it in its context. Verse eight. The opposite of codependency or abuse in relationships, he goes, man, we just love you. Because, because we loved you so much, man, we were able to give, with, give to you. We were delighted to give to you, not only the gospel, but our very lives. Hear it. This word that's being translated for us as to share with, it literally is with giving. To, to with giving. We gave you the gospel, but our very lives. Think of the freedom this affords you. This is amazing. Paul's able to enter into this relationship and give himself away. No mask, no posturing, no trying to earn something from the other person. He's able to go, I can let you in. I gave you my life. I, I can be vulnerable and real with you. I can be honest with you. Isn't that the kind of thing we all want? Isn't that what we desperately hope for in our relationships? Isn't that we need it? in our communities and in our nation, being able to take the mask down and honestly look at the other person and say, I just love you and I'm delighted to give myself away to you. This is what ministry looks like. This is what leadership looks like. This is what love looks like. Now, the question becomes this. This is how we close. How in the world do you do this, right? If most of us are in the game, tethering ourselves, how do you get this? And it's been here in our passage all along. We can see it. Uh, we just haven't highlighted it. Four times in 12 verses, Paul says, man, I gave you the gospel, the gospel of God. I was approved to be entrusted with the gospel to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also we proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
Gospel just simply means good pronouncement, good news. It's a message. The gospel is a message. It's a message about a different king. A king that operates on an entirely different, in an entirely different way than all of the ways that kings in our world operate. This king has come and flipped the concept of honor on its head. He's changed the game. He's changed everything. Look at the last verse in our, in our section here, verse 12. He says, we came in there and encouraged and comforted and urged you to live lives worthy of God. See the last little clause. I, I love this. Because he's the one who called you, and he called you into his kingdom. There's a different king. And he called you not only into his kingdom, but into his doxa. Doxa is the word that means glory or praise. Another synonym for it would be honor. This king has called you into his kingdom, and he's given you, he's bestowed upon you all of the doxa that you could ever want. The secret for Paul, the how does he do this? Paul is set free because he goes, listen, I've already got all of the glory and the honor and the praise I could ever want. I've got it. I've already got it. Imagine the liberation. And just so you can see this king, you don't have to flip there. I want you just to see him. Uh, This is an amazing passage in Mark chapter 10. In Mark, Jesus is on a date with destiny on a Roman cross. And by the way, crosses were used to inflict pain, but also to humiliate and dishonor the person. That's why they made it last so long. And Jesus in Mark is on a date with destiny in Jerusalem, headed for a betrayal and arrest and a cross. And he keeps saying it. And in this, in this journey that he's on, toward the end of it, two of his disciples come up to him. And their question's not inappropriate, by the way. We, we, we chastise them. Jesus keeps saying, I am the king. I'm pronouncing myself as king. And they're going, sweet. Look what they say. Hey, Jesus, hey, teacher. It's James and John. Uh, I just imagine the gall of this. We want you to do whatever we how about that? Hey, Jesus, come over here. I've got a question for you. Not a theological question. Can you do anything we ask? And I, I look at Jesus. What do you want? And they say, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left. When you enter into your doxa, your honor, your glory, when you establish your throne, it's going to be sweet. You're going to make yourself king, and I want to be right there. They're still thinking in the world's way of honor, the world's way of esteem, the world's way of being king. They're still stuck in that. They're thinking that. You're going to get honor? I want some of that. And look at what Jesus does. It says, uh, he called them together. Now, I don't know if Jesus is trying to shame them. I don't know if they came and, hey, uh, Jesus, can you do whatever we want? He said, sure, we want to sit in glory. And he goes, all right, everybody, come over here. Come check these two idiots out. You won't believe what they just asked me. I don't, I don't know if he's doing that, but either way, here's what, Jesus knows they have to get this. Guys, come over here. Hold on, James and John. Let's get everybody else over here. Come over here. Look at what he says. He says, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers or the kings or the lords of the Gentiles, they lord it over their people. They exercise authority. It's the world's way of honor. 
It's the world's way of power. It's the world's way of esteem. You're always in the game trying to outdo the other person. When you get that honor, when you get that power, you hold it. And you make sure they know. Jesus says, it's enslaving. It's, it'll trap you. It's what all the earthly kings do, and it's not working. Look around our world. Is it working? It ain't working. Jesus says, not so with you. And then what he's going to do is flip on its head the way that kings work. He's going to flip on its head the way that doxa works. He says, if you want to be great, take a different posture. Take the posture of a servant. If you want to be first, become slave of all. Now, you can't miss this. can't miss this. Because I think if we stopped at verse 44, a lot of you would go, I can do that. I got the ethic. Yes, I'm going to work harder to do that. I can be a nicer person, more giving person. I can, I can make my relationships not go to codependency or, I can, or, or abuse. I can do it. Here's the problem. Some of you, you've been trying to do that for decades. Some of you have been working really hard to be a good person, a loving person, and yet you find yourself still stuck on that pegboard. You can't break through without verse 45, so, so, so see it. It says, for even the Son of Man, by the way, it comes from Daniel chapter 7. It's a title of the king, the messianic king. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the last clause will set you free to give his life as a ransom for many. Hear it. The mess that we've made of the human condition because of our clamoring for power and honor, it leads to all the brokenness that we see, all the injustice that we see, all the greed that we see, all the wounds, all the betrayal, all the families that are broken. We, we call that sin in the Bible. It's wrecked us. We brought dishonor and shame, ugliness, selfishness into this world. You know what? I, we, we don't have to prove that one. We've seen it. Jesus says, I will enter in and I'll take the place of dishonor on a cross. I'll take the shamed place and I'll substitute myself so that you get the doxa. Take the weight of it over here so that you can be set free over here. Have you tasted that? Have you seen it? This isn't something you did when you were eight. That's not, this, is a, this is what we have to live in, walk in. It's gospel-shaped power. You see it? By the way, if you're here and you're going, I don't, I don't know if I've ever, ever tasted that. I, I, I want that. Then right now, like this morning, you could, you could break through. And there's nothing magical. You say, Lord, I'm done with all of the way that the world is doing this. I know what a mess that it's made of my life, and I want you as my king. Forgive me and set me free. And we would love to process that with you. The person who brought you, our prayer team that'll be uh, in the prayer room over here, I'll be right here at the end of the sermon, if, or at the end of the service. We'd love to process that with you. That's you. You're going, I want it. Followers of Jesus, are we living in it? To get us there, I'm gonna invite you, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna invite you to stand as we're gonna reflect and sing about our King. So would you stand with me and let me pray, and then we're gonna turn and we're gonna worship him. Lord, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
and we live lives worthy of the gospel of God who called us into a kingdom and into doxa. All the honor we could ever want, we got from you. And Lord, would you stir that into our hearts and our minds right now so that it might set us free to live differently among our neighbors, in our families, at our places of work, at the gym, in our city, in our country. Radical, free love. That's what you gave us. Right now, we exalt you as King Jesus in this place. Say it in your name. Amen. Let's sing.
this prayer over you and then you'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for your epic transformational power in the gospel. Captivate our hearts with the story of your love and redemption. Jesus, help us to see people the way you see them. Forgive us when we are distracted by the promise of worldly honor. May our hands become beautifully calloused with the work of the gospel willing to do whatever you ask when you ask it. By your spirit, lead us in your love. Open our eyes to those around us who are without hope and without you. May your words of love flow from our tongues as naturally as breathing, all for your glory. Amen. You're dismissed. If you would like prayer, our prayer room is open. We have communion available. If you want to make a reservation for next week's service, feel free to do that online. Thank you guys for being here.